0: How's it going, everyone? My name is Chris Hagen. This is Above the Standard, the podcast brought to you by Barbell Battalion. And if you haven't, uh, check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. The content is all different, but it's all fun. If you haven't, check out our Etsy shop where we have pins and stickers and shirts. And if you haven't already, like this podcast, review this podcast. Give us a a, a subscription to it. Subscribe to it. All right. So today, we talk with Kyle Romagus. Kyle is a captain with the East Montgomery Fire Department just outside of Houston. And Kyle is the epitome of passion in this job. Kyle owns and runs Smoothbore Cartel and Engine Company Resurrection, and today, we nerd out about the fire department. We, we nerd out about nozzles and flows, and we talk about all the great things that make the engine company what it is. And we talk about what makes this job so great and where we should be to, to reinvigorate ourselves to continue the greatness that this job gives to us and, more importantly, who we serve. So please give it up. The guy's a wealth of knowledge, phenomenal guy, Captain Kyle Romagus. And we're recording. All right. Uh so today on this episode of Above the Standard, I have the the great mustachioed uh Kyle Romagus. Is you still have the mustache? I do. Oh, beautiful. Kyle Romagus. And um today we're gonna talk. He's from uh smoothboard cartel and um engine company resurrection and a host of other things. So Kyle, first off, I wanna say thank you for like I said, donating uh your time and being generous with it today.
1: You're very welcome, man. I'm excited to be here.
0: So, Kyle, where on God's green earth do you find yourself today?
1: Well, as in like geographically?
0: Geographically, (laughs) yes, sir.
1: I'm in uh, right outside of Houston, Texas. I'm about 40 miles north of Houston. Um, My department is East Montgomery County Fire Department. Uh, About 144 square miles, five stations, 13 guys on duty every day. And uh, we're, like I said, about 40 miles north of Houston, so southeast Texas. Roger that. Um, and, uh, how long have you been on the job? I've been on the job since 2004. So this is my 17th year. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: We, um, our, our paths are pretty, uh, relatively in line. I started in my, my, my fire career in oh and, Oh seven. So kind of around ish the, uh, the same time we're about, my department's about 40 minutes North of Detroit. Um, but we cover a much, um, different geographical area. We're only about 36 square miles. We got 10 guys on uh, duty every day, do a hybrid of uh, EMS and fire.
1: Excellent. uh, So you're in my situation to where I tell people I'm from Houston. You tell people probably you're from Detroit because nobody knows where New Caney, Texas is. Me. What
0: what's what's so funny, man, is when the only people that call you out on that are guys that live in Michigan, right? So, <laughs> you know, you it, and like you said, no nobody knows you know where where I'm at. But then you talk, um, say from Detroit, and then you get someone that's from the city, or you get someone that's like from Michigan or in that in that area, and they're like, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, but but really, where are you? I'm was Like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm from Lake Orion. It's about you know, small little you know you know community up uh, north of here. So we cover yeah, like about 36 square miles, 40,000 people. But um, that and we're just kind of a you know bread and butter suburban department that surrounds uh the the cult, the, the Goliath of Detroit. Um, nice. So Kyle, what what brought me to you was um. And I'll be honest with you, I heard of Smoothbore Cartel, saw the logo, saw the Instagram account, followed it for a minute. Um, never really put two and two together who you were. And then um, I got, uh, I started watching a lot of videos from Fire Nuggets. And one of them was entitled The Stretch. And I didn't, uh, put part of their virtual engine class. And I, I didn't, I, I just I just like engine work. I like truck work, but I was trying to learn a little more on, on engine work. And um, I, I, I I, never knew your name. I just saw Kyle Romagus and he started teaching. And then I was engaged, and then what, like, hooked me in, in what you talked about in that class, and it came in really early, was you were breaking down the stretch just looking at your engine, like, uh, you know, bumper to bumper, axle to axle. I'm going to lose X amount of feet if I go around it. Stuff I've never even thought about, and then you looked at the hose tray, and you're like, "Well, the hose tray is probably going to be, you know, you know, and, and, and relating it more to my department, you know, the hose tray is going to be five feet, so every bite's going to be ten feet, so you can estimate how much you're going to pull off based on the number of bites that you look at." And I was like, "Holy shit, that's that's so fucking simple. That was so, and the breakdown that you gave was so clear and just so simple, but I had never thought of it in those terms to quickly." isolate and identify the stretch that I have coming off. And, and then from there, Kyle just kind of spiraled into this content of absorbing, you know, kind of the, the message that you, that uh, you're promoting. So one, I want to thank you for putting out all this content and all this, um, passion into the fire service. I mean, it's, it's, it's contagious to say the least.
1: And you're very welcome. i so honored to do that, uh, Fire Nuggets webinar I've been reading Fire Nuggets, the online magazine, since I was started, and I was so honored when they reached out to me to to do that presentation. And uh, on my my mentality on engine work, man, is I try to keep it simple for guys, because it can be like an avalanche when you start throwing all this stuff at guys. And we just try to break it down into simple terms, you know, rig the door, door to seat, and being able and like you're saying those little small details on being able to estimate distances. Estimate the amount of hose you have on your shoulder is so important, especially for cool, for clean, forward progression with the hose. So you don't have to make multiple trips. I just try to keep it simple for guys. So,
0: um, there's a couple things, um, I, I wanted to go over and, um, really just just pick your brain on because one, I know you're passionate about a few of them, and, um, uh, one of, one of which that that lines up really. Well, with a, a a a passion and a project and a mission that I'm trying to deliver, not only in my department but my you know the the surrounding mutual aid um, departments that we have as well. But first, I wanted to go over um, really where I, I first saw you, which was um which is Smooth Bar Cartel. What's what is Smooth Bar Cartel? If you can just kind of talk about that for a little bit and what's that all about. So Smoothbore Cartel is
1: my uh, retail company. It actually didn't start the company. It was started from uh, my battalion chief that works on the A-shift. I'm on the B-shift where I'm at. And we grew up together in the fire service. We went to fire school together, went to EMT school together. But essentially about six, seven years ago, we made the switch to all Smoothbore. And we were kind of isolated in our area. You know, we're stepping back in time. You know, the cliches, you know, um, we're stepping backwards. You know, the, the smoothbore is not going to work for the fires we have today. And you got to have fog for protection. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of that floating around in our area down here. And it's real deep-rooted. So we were kind of isolated when we did that. And I didn't make the decision to switch to smoothbore. My fire chief did back when he was a captain. Um, but it, it kind of isolated us into an area. We were like the redheaded stepchildren of the county already. And then when we made the, the switch to all smoothbore, we were just isolated even more. And it was like a mind frame. Like if we're going to be isolated, we're going to embrace it. You know, so we, uh, d- he developed the patch first, uh, the original patch, the black and white patch that I sell on the website, that was the original one. And it wasn't really for sale. It was kind of for us, kind of like a morale booster for us and our guys. And, uh, about the same time that that came out, I started engine company Resurrection and engine company resurrection if you don't know is a facebook page it's a it's a what's referred to as a secret group on facebook so i mean you have to be invited to be in you can't search for the content that's there and one of the things that i wanted to do and and i kind of developed this with a with a different battalion chief that works with me on the job is that i wanted a place for people to go to where the content was locked like you couldn't search for you know, any posts on, on engine company resurrection on the main Facebook search engine, you had to be in the group to see it because there's a lot of guys out there that are limited on what they can put on social media because their department policy or they, I mean, honestly, so, social media is just so nasty at times, man. The guys are carnivorous. Even got
0: even, you know, people in our profession, man, they are just they'll, they'll, for no other reason. Those rip people to shreds, man. The, the, the protection people feel behind a keyboards insane.
1: insane. For sure. I mean, we've got a lot of good traditions and deep rooted traditions in the fire service. And one of the ones I, I like the least is that we eat our own, man. You know, we're so nasty to each other and, and it could be, you know, misconstrued at sometimes, And sometimes it's not intentionally meant to be, you know, vindictive. And it's just, you know, breaking balls, you know, I mean, yep. but I mean, without context, the written word is hard to establish emotion by. You know, so, I mean, without context for a lot of that stuff, it could, it could strike a nerve pretty easy. And okay. a lot of guys are apprehensive about asking questions and bringing up subject matter, um, specifically with their own departments, you know, so I wanted a place where that could happen. And it was moderated to a point to where the feedback can be negative, but it's negative delivered in a positive way, I guess you could say. Amen. So I try to, I try to moderate it like that. So anyway, long story short, when I, Started ECR, I, I was traveling a lot, going to, to conferences all over the country, and I kept seeing the same dudes at all these conferences. And I'm like, man, there's got to be a way to get dudes that are passionate, that are into the job to these places, you know, because I see the same faces. And I'm like, man, I love seeing these same dudes, but we can really cause change, if, change in the fire service if we branch out and get other guys here. Because if I can affect one dude on a job, I can affect that guy, his mind frame and he can spread like an infection to the other members of his crew. And that'll lead to station change, which will lead to battalion change, which will lead to department change. So I wanted to find a way to send these dudes to conferences that couldn't afford it or just didn't have the mind frame and ability to go. So I started a scholarship fund. And uh, one of the things with smoothball cartel when it started out was I told my battalion chief, I was like, man, I could sell this merch around the country. But if I do that, give me a little kickback so I can send dudes to training for free. And that's how it kind of started is that he would sell products and then a percentage of the sales would go to me. And I would put that in a scholarship fund and then pay for a registration uh, flight and a hotel for a dude to go to a conference around the country that maybe he did, he couldn't afford or anything like that. So. That's kind of where the, the retail company started because he had no passion for retail. He's, he was a, just a good artist and he was wanting a morale boost for us.
0: That's awesome. Um, so what, what why, um, you kind of explained it a little bit um, here, but why was that so important? Um, you know, was it just that you want to just spread that infection um, with the uh, um, the scholarship and, and how, was that, how was that received and how do you get that, you know, how do you get that message um, out to people? How, how can they get it? What's uh, kind of what's the process there?
1: Well, the message for me was important mm-hmm. due to uh, the fact that it's hard to get on, get into some guy's mind frame sometimes and figure out what they need to change in their department. And some people don't, you know, some people just, grow up in a fire service and they don't know any different and they don't expand their knowledge base or talk to dudes around the country and that's one of the biggest benefits of ecr is that you've got 30,000 people in that group and you can see you know tactics and strategies and resource management from all around the country and a lot of guys get stuck in their bubble you know that they don't really know what they're doing could be done better i guess you could say or more efficient for the taxpayer because that's why we're all here is to make our job more efficient for the for the end user which is those who pay our salaries and a lot of guys separate that because they don't really and maybe they haven't been shown or maybe they haven't been told that you actually work for the citizens of your district to pay taxes that pay your your salaries you know so guys are stuck in their bubble man and yeah. I, I wanted to be able to give guys a chance to, to branch out and hear ideas and strategies and tactics from other other places and other uh cultures. So um, that's it. really the the mind frame
0: behind it. I love it, and, and so much of that bubble, it, like, everything that you're talking about, everything that you've talked about, resonates so deep um, with with my current situation and really what I came up in. When I came up in in this department in in oh seven, and I'm and I'm not trying to say by any means I have a lot of time or experience on this job, but when I came on this department, i um, mine, and the mindset was why what are you what are you trying to do what are you trying to change in our department what's your angle why why do you why do you want things different this is the way we do it don't don't uh they, they do things different over there or we would get this you know the a hey, this department over there you know don't you know if you if we go on a mutual aid they're 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 kind of crazy you don't want to you never know what they're going to do or this department <laughs> oh this department's a bunch of cowboys you don't know um what they want to do and 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 when you're young and everybody has that global mindset. It one, it infects you and and, you know, not really knowing any different, you're just kinda like, Oh, okay, well, you know, I'll watch out for those guys. And and looking back on it, knowing connecting, reaching out, like all those guys are the guys that I am now or I still want to be. And it was a, a toxic mindset precipitated on some old leadership on our department. And it just it just trickled down to we were on an island, not only on communications, but tactics and equipment and gear and everything about our department made us different. But in, in not the way that you want to be different in a way that. You know, I, I call it two. You know, there's two kinds of firemen, right? There's a thank God fireman and an oh God fireman. Yeah, it's it's when it's when uh, you know you want to be the thank God fireman. So you know, when I look in the back seat and I see you know you know you know Brian in the back seat, I say I say thank God we got Brian on, on, on coming in. But if I look back and I'm like, oh Rick. Oh God, it's Rick. Like, I don't want, I, I don't want the, oh, and that's what we were. We were the, oh God department. Like, oh God, Orion's coming to, to, to help. And, and it, um, it sucked like, you know, and then, but in the moment you don't really realize it, but then, and you hit on this just now, when you start talking to other people and you start learning and expanding your mind, one, you realize that, that maybe what you're doing is not wrong, but it drastically could be improved um but the way you do it is certainly not the only way or the best way and i i can't stress enough how important it is to just you know even if it's in your own, your own mutual aid agreement you know talk to your people talk to your neighbors and talk to people that are that are doing things different it doesn't matter if they're FDNY or they 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 cover 400 people in in Oklahoma you know they might be doing something that's going to resonate within Within your department, man. So Kyle, I can't speak more on on everything that you're you're talking right now. Um, and one thing I wanted to, because it's it's like weighing on my mind. It's one thing I've been wanting to talk to you um, about right now. And it was that switch to smoothbore uh, that you talk about. And one of the things you talked about in the past, but has been like the the nozzle difference, like eleven hundred degrees and the nozzle, right? And and I want to, like, if you can expand upon that, what ultimately made the switch to smoothbore. Um, and I want to, I, I kind of want to just kind of unpack, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces here. And I'll tell you where this comes from. I am currently on a five-year mission to introduce smooth bores into my department. And for the longest time, I thought it was, I have a very dense leadership that they don't want to do it. I'm presenting all this data. I, 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 you, you can you can drown the fighter gallons per second, all that Kurt Isaac's and good stuff, all the juice that's coming in with it. The, the the nozzles are cheaper, you know, makes us more deployable. And I was just getting nothing but pushback, man. I was just beating my head against the wall, and and I wasn't getting different results. And it took me, it took me years into this process of no momentum to realize the one thing I'm trying to change. And my leadership is what my current leadership at that time put in place twenty years ago that they believed is the oh, best. Big time. And so now I'm in. Now I'm at, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I have un I have undebatable data, tactics. I mean, financial reasons, everything to surround the fact that this is the right move. But I'm going up against emotion right now, and. And that's an equally tough thing to, to, to say because I'm uprooting every level of training that my le- leadership has. And, and for the longest time, Kyle, I faulted them. I, I was just a fucking cynic with, with, <laughs> with the, with these dense individuals that didn't want to change. And man, then it hit me. I'm like, well, the, the, same people that are in there now, you know, they, you know, in their youth, this was the hottest ticket in the world and this $1,400, 1500 nozzle was going to save the world. And they're coming at it in the same way I did. And um, it's taken a long time to, to sequester my own emotion and, and to hammer it and, um, in that. So, uh, Kyle what ultimately made that switch to you guys what did you guys have before because right now you know' we're a, we're a predominant department of 100 psi 100 psi automatic nozzles pretty much and everything with some other stuff here and there. Um, so what did you guys have and what ultimately made that switch that your captain at the time uh, started developing and, and why are you such a proponent of one side or the other?
1: So we were at the same point that you are now we had high pressure TFT automatic nozzles. At low quality, very easily packed um, hose. And that's where a lot of guys end up going wrong is they just want to put the change the, the nozzle itself. And they don't really realize that it's a full package. And that's what Dennis kind of brought me up on. And that's what we realized when we wanted to change the package is that just by changing the nozzle on the package is not good enough you know i mean when you when you have hose that's meant to be supplied by 100 psi back pressure it acts differently when you drop that pressure on it and you know i can't really speak to the mind frame of why my my current chief howard made the switch so i i came off the rig in 2012 to teach fire academy full-time and the switch happened in that time frame, when I came off the rig to teach Fire Academy, and then when I came back onto the rig in 2017 from from lead instructor in the Fire Academy for five years, which kind of shaped my mind frame on the current, you know, abilities of training um, in the Fire Academy level in Texas at least, and that really opened my eyes up into the the mind frame that these dudes are leaving the Fire Academy with 400 plus hours in the fire academy that we have in texas but they're leaving with very little information that will help them at three o'clock in the morning when they step off the rig you know and that that really kind of shaped my mind frame on getting out of that atmosphere and getting into the national level instruction side but that's another conversation altogether. but um essentially that switch was made while i was at the fire academy so when i came back From the fire academy we had low quality hose with 50 psi nozzles on it and i was like man
0: you know this is uh this is different you
1: know this is something that that's not really working well together and then right after that we made the switch to full true id and then like a a light bulb it just came off i was like man this is this is making sense now which then started leading me into down the rabbit hole of the attack package itself You know, the the hose construction being able to be supported by the low nozzle pressure. And then we just kind of developed our attack package into what it is today. So the mind frame of the switch happened while I was on the fire academy. But for me to buy into it when I came back, it was more so the research and the data portion on on my mind frame there that, that really got me to buy into it. Um, and the, and a lot of things that led me down that path was number one the book of Andy everything everything I ever read on the engine side from Andy Fredericks started making more sense now um, reading hose dreams by Dennis Lagier quantitative approach to nozzle selection and stream by Eric Bridges and Jason Vestal you know these the great debate by uh, Dave Mcgrail you know I mean it just started lining up the stars started aligning when I started reading all this data and material. And then experiencing it for myself, and that's where I really got the buy-in for it. And the debate, man, the the one that really ended the debate for me was the quantitative approach on nozzle selection stream, by Eric Bridges and Jason Vestal. And that article actually came out in 2010, but I didn't find it until about 2013, 14. And uh, man, you read that article, and it's just it's like a knowledge bomb, and it's uh, it's kind of tough for people to digest because it's there's a lot of nerdism in that article, you know, but. (laughs) Yeah, there is. Once you dive into it, and because, I mean, I've read that article probably 50, 60 times, and there's still things I have to go back and reread in that article because it's so deep. But that one really uh, ended the debate for me, man. So, in
0: in in, in the humbled opinion of Kyle Romagas, you know, what what's the application um, for— and we will, you know, for a residential structure fire, inch and three quarter line, one hundred and fifty GPM average, right? Um, you know, what are the 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 options, or or what what is the the personal opinion for running a a an automatic, a fog, and a, and and a well, we 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 know the impact of a of a solid stream, right? But yeah. We'll, what, where is your differentiation between a fog nozzle, You know, let's say fixed gallonage at 150, could be a 75 PSI, regardless, the fog nozzle versus the automatic? Do they have a place? And if they do have a place, in your humbled opinion, where should they be? Or what, what application should they be
1: used for? on the residential side uh i think the automatic nozzle has no business passing the threshold of a residential structure my personal opinion there's a lot of variables and one of the the quotes i love the best from dennis lagier is is eliminate variables variables and insert constants you know there's a lot of variables with that automatic nozzle Um, i'm a real big proponent of low pressure constant flow and that's where a lot of guys get get torn up in the weeds like specifically in situations like yourself when you're going from high pressure probably low quality hose i couldn't tell you what kind of hose you have but if you have a 100 psi nozzle most likely that leads to the the purchase of low bid hose because that nozzle is going to make that hose act well at that back pressure so once guys start moving towards that low pressure they find out their hose won't support it you know, so low pressure is the easier win than the smooth bore fog debate for a lot of people, because then they start getting into the mind frame, okay, if I go low pressure constant gallonage fog, I have to get a hose that supports that. Well, once you invest that 15-year investment in that fire hose that will support that low pressure move, then it makes it that much easier to make the switch to the smooth bore. But going back to your question, me personally, there's a place on the fire ground for the fog nozzle. My personal opinion is that that place is in small, uncompartmented, non-occupied areas in cocklofts, in attic spaces, in wall sections, in like knee walls. Those places is where I would prefer the use of that particular small droplet. Me personally, I'm I'm going into the mind frame that every fire I'm walking into is gonna be worst case scenario. And in that worst case scenario, we're talking flashover conditions above eleven hundred degrees. So I use that, that eleven hundred degree mark. And before I read quantitative approach and got into that, you know, they, they talk about the eleven twenty-three mark, so or the eleven twelve mark. When I was in the fire academy teaching, I always used the eleven hundred Degree mark as as the flashover temperature because it was a range. So like when you read data, it's a range between 900 1300 degrees. You know that's the usual range they give you in the flashover. I use 1100 because that's the ignition temperature of carbon monoxide. So 90% of what's in your smoke is going to be carbon monoxide. The ignition temperature of carbon monoxide is 1100. You know big red truck. When carbon monoxide catches fire, you have flashover. And before I started getting into the data on the flashover and kilowatts and megawatts and all that, that was the number that stuck out in my head. So in that worst-case scenario, I'm looking at the grizzly bear in front of me, and it's 1,100 degrees. I want a nozzle that's going to penetrate that 1,100 degrees and instantaneously cause positive change and still have enough flow to have that return to come down to solid fuels. So solid fuels is the engine. The gas is just the exhaust off the engine. So I need to have a water droplet that will be large enough and in a quantity of volume to penetrate that 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit and then still have that rain down. So to me, the smoothboard nozzle gives me that. Long live the fat droplet.
0: So, um, I, and I've talked about this before, but, but I used to think – I, I knew what the hell I was talking about I, I, You know, I you know, early on. I thought I had my shit together. And then I read the book of Andy, and it upended anything and everything um, I ever knew. And at first, when I read the book of Andy, I saw some things that he had, had written in the early 90s. And I was like, listen, I'm going to skip. I got to skip all the way to, like, 99, 2000, because I knew he had passed away in 9-11. And, um." I'm like, you know, there's nothing, there's, and this is just me being ignorant. There is nothing that he. This is what I was thinking. There is nothing that he wrote in '92 that could even be relatable in, 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 you know, what, 2011, 12, 13. Like nothing. This when This is when I like got into it. So I was in the fire service long enough to kind of get past my greenhorn stage, get a little confidence, and then really dive into the fact that I've been doing this a minute, and I and I get it right. So I, I I find the I find out you know I, I hear about Gary Lane and 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 he produced or collected all of it and I and I find the the work and I skip ahead and I just you know I bypass everything this guy did and then I I, I read some one of his stuff in the uh, you know ninety nine or two thousand and then like up oh, it was like a sh- like a canon like do like everything this is like almost twenty years and this guy is writing about things that are the gold standard today. So then I'm like, all right. So I, I stopped right there. I was like a page in. And I go, I'm going back. To, I have to go to the beginning. I, and I went all the way back to his early, his earliest writings at the beginning of the, of the article. And it was blo- knocked off my feet. The fact that what he wrote about all that time... Is everything that Elkhart and their brass text hard fact stuff is pumping out. It's everything that every guy is talking about right now. This guy was learning and doing, you know, you know, w- you know, a couple years after I was born. Right. And um, it completely changed. I, I mean, you want to talk about my light bulb switch. That was it. And then that that spiraled into anything and everything connected to people that were putting back into the fire service. Jeff Shoup. And Dave McGrail and all these all these phenomenal people that 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 I was too naive um to 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 look at. And so when I read that, it it, it took upon myself to invest the time to look at the, the attack package that we had. And we had and we have the cheap, I won't name the brand, but we have the cheap hose. And I I at the time I'm like, well, we, I can just throw a smooth bore on it. We're gonna deliver way more water. And then, <laughs> and then I talked to the, I, you know, I, I reached out to Elkar, man. I just, you know, you know, screw it. I'm going to talk to them and the, and I'll give it to them, man. They they have been so helpful. And I asked the guy, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I have this, uh, I want to put this nozzle on it. And he goes, well, you got to back up. Um, what, what hose do you have? I tell him the brand and he's like, sorry, bro. You, um, it, 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 it won't work. You're going to have a kink issue. Like you wouldn't believe you have cheap hose yeah. that relies on back pressure of the 100 PSI nozzle. Um, I'm like, all right, well, this is what I got for two and a half. He's like, well, yeah, you obviously need two. You need smooth bore on two and a half. You're an idiot if you. He didn't say it, but like, you're an idiot. You don't have it, right? (laughs) So, so anyway, so so I'm in this this position on my department where where we just spent thousands, tens of thousands, on brand new hoes that, as a chief, I know good and well, they're not going to, you know, garbage right now. But my approach now is just. Baby steps, man. Get it. I want to get it on the two and a half because what, what the book at Andy really told me to examine, and I share the same view that you have with the automatic nozzle, is we have a job that is per, that is known that the one thing that puts out the BTUs are the GPMs. But we're going to use a frontline nozzle that sacrifices the GPMs for how the stream is going to look, like look and feel and, and, and move. And the stream shape really won't change between a half a bale and a full bale
1: that's what it, it's designed to do it's was yeah
0: you, it it's variable flow to maintain maintain a stream shape and reach, but the reach cannot be you know um i guess mixed with penetration or extinguishment and it, it so so Kyle, anyone that knows me it was dr- it was consuming me. I was reaching out to every person I knew on mutual aid agencies asking um what like what they used and why they used it and none of them can tell me none of them can tell me what they have and why they used it and i and i started to obsess about this that that now you know anytime i bring up anything gpm or um smoothbore lady or whatever it's like it's kind of a it's a it's a joke now because they know i'm just going to nerd out on this thing i can recite whatever and and it just comes down to the fact that i just want to deliver a better attack package from that. So. Um, Kyle, when you go into this and you talk to people that are that are in like a similar situation, because it feels like you know where my department was and the mindset is some years, be- just a couple, a few, five years behind where 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 you guys were at one point, where I'm sure a ton of departments are now. What is what's your what's your approach um to uh, to t- to talking to folks about? You know, diving into the science of it and and explaining the importance, but maybe not losing them in the minutia of um, like maybe the nerdery. It's
1: a tough one, man. Um, the the very first easy win I usually grab people on is nozzle reaction. So the easiest thing to get someone to understand with physical skill set is nozzle reaction and your abilities with different nozzle reactions so obviously at the higher pressures you're going to have higher nozzle reaction and the only way you're going to reduce nozzle reaction is to either reduce flow or reduce pressure so you got to bring the nozzle pressure down or the flow down and and thankfully probably about 90 percent of the people i talk talked to about this they don't want to bring their flow down so that makes it an easy win there yep. you know so if you don't want to lose the flow we got to lose the nozzle pressure you know so At that point, when I put that nozzle in their hand and I asked them, and and really this is something I got from Kurt Isaacson, is the the gallons per second test, is put that nozzle in their hand, turn the lights off, fill a room with furniture, and have them push that nozzle from the front door to the back room with the nozzle bell open the entire time. Because that's worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, I got to have the nozzle open and I'm pushing from threshold to the seat. And being able to put different nozzle pressures and flows in people's hands and actually have them. You know, have that aha moment when they when you ask them, okay, worst worst case scenario, open it at the threshold and don't shut it down till you get to the fire room, which one of these packages are is is giving you the best ability to do so.
0: And then from there,
1: it's like an aha light bulb moment for some for most people. It's like, man, if I have to do this, I want lower pressure. And if I'm in a situation where I have to do this, I don't want to reduce my flow. So if I don't want to reduce the flow, I've got to reduce nozzle pressure to keep that flow. And then we start working backwards. So at that point, when I get them sold on the actual nozzle pressure and the flow, now we got to start talking about the delivery system. And then the delivery system is a kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people because it's expensive, you know, depending on how big your department is and how many stations you have and how many rigs you're going to have to outfit. You know, this could be a, $10,000 purchase, a quarter-million-dollar purchase, a $3 million purchase, and that's where you lose a lot of the decision-makers there is that, man, what we have right now is not exploding on the fire ground. All the fires are going out, you know, and that's the mind frame that a lot of people are in. But it's it's kind of a tough contest between what they have been doing and what they may have to do at one point. Because, I mean, to be honest, a lot of guys haven't made that fire yet. You know, a lot of guys go through their entire career and not have, not make that fire, where it's an offset room, I've got nothing but but fire blowing down this hallway, and it seems like a wind-driven event. But the reason it seems like a wind-driven event is because I can't put the water where I need to, to put it in a continuous manner due to the beating that I'm taking when I open this nozzle. You know, so some guys, they get that high-pressure, high-flow nozzle, like, for, for instance, Houston. You know, Houston is a very close fire department to us, and we tried to emulate Houston for a long time. Houston's bottom line flow is 200 gallons a minute. So their hose package, they want 200 gallons a minute, but their hose package won't allow them to run anything but 100 PSI. So any 100 PSI nozzle divide yeah. the fourth half of the nozzle reaction. Oof. So You've got two and a half inch nozzle reaction, more so, yeah. on an inch and three quarter hand line. And, you know, you don't want to drop the flow, And you're forcing guys to grit their teeth, find a a, a sturdy corner, and and open the nozzle and pin themselves against something so they don't fly across the hallway. You know, so, I mean, you're setting your guys up for failure on that end. But the easiest win for me is nozzle reaction. So, if I can put three different hose packages, three different nozzle packages in guys' hands and say, okay, open the nozzle fully and push it 15 feet and make a turn, which one of these selections gets you to do that? You know, a, a gives you the ability to do that without taking a beating or having to be, you know, a 6'5", 230 linebacker and able to do that. You know, and that's usually an easy win, man, for, for a lot of people in that physical aspect.
0: Yeah, we, uh, you know, uh, another big wake-up call for me is when there was, and even in the nozzles on my 2.5 right now haven't changed. So the apprehension right now to grab a 2.5, regardless of fire condition, um, is extreme because, and this is again what where where I think my my passion for this went into full blown obsession was, um, the the nozzle that we have on our two and a half is a hundred psi two twenty five nozzle on our, on our two and a half, um, and where this f- switch flipped in in myself that I just got ungodly pissed. Was I was covering another outstation on overtime, and I check out this truck in an inch and three quarter had the same nozzle as our two and a half, and I was like, "What? the, Like now? Like everything? Like that was that was all I needed to to know that there was no there was no quantitative approach, no no real investment into what we have and why we have it where we have it, and I just and it just took me down. Um, down this rabbit hole and then I you know we had a couple you know we have a bunch of photo albums of old fires and I went through them and every single two two and a half that was pulled guys are using it at half a bale. well at that point yeah. if, if you're using a, a half a bale on a two and a half then there's no reason to have that out in the first place you're going to be more deployable and a uh, better operable with an inch and three-quarter going full bore than you are stationary with a with a a two and a half, but I get it. The The nozzle reaction on that, on that two and a half is an ass kicker. It's going to, it's it's going to beat the shit out of you. And, and so that's really when I, I, one, I tracked down all the data that I could. I, 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 I talked to reps, got, got examples, got, got my flows dialed in, got pressures. And then that's when I'm, I, I'm meeting some of that, um, emotional resistance but now now it's kind of chiseled down you know i've always said you know us in the fire service you beat on a wall long enough it'll break it just depends on how how much grit and, and and time you want to invest in it and um so i think we're on the precipice of of going in this direction i think we're i would say with you know knock on wood you know i think we're like a year out possibly from from getting the 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 smoothbores on at least our two and a half right now so it's um a work um a work in progress um so kyle at your department you had mentioned that that when this switch was happening um you guys were really looked down upon going backwards what explain what was you know was so much of the going to smoothbore related to the influence that houston had in your
1: area uh, our prior attack package for sure. Yeah. I mean, just like everyone, you know, you're going to emulate what's around you that you see as successful. So one of the biggest departments that the biggest department that's around us is Houston, you know, so we try and we have nowhere near the manpower that Houston has. I got some buddies that teach with us, Clyde Gordon, uh, Mo Davis that teach with us that are district chiefs in Houston. And, you know, and they talk about all the time, the amount of manpower that they have on location. You know, and like Clyde Gordon, he works downtown Houston in the high-rise district, you know, so he's got 65 dudes showing up to the to the fire, Damn. you know, and I have 13 on a good day. Right. You know, so right. we're manpower limited and task-saturated, man. So, I mean, we had years and years of us getting beat up for no reason, us watching, you know, fires get away from us for no reason, and we really couldn't put it together. Like, man, these guys down south are so successful with what they're doing, and we really couldn't put it together that – you know, they're successful with what they're doing because they're bringing, you know, 60 dudes to the party. They could not open one nozzle and just have everybody hit the living room and roll around on the floor and the fire goes out, you know, so I mean, it's, it's, we couldn't, we tried to emulate what they do and we couldn't do it, you know, and that mind frame of that high pressure, high gallonage nozzle spread like wildfire because we saw what, and I can't speak for everybody at the county that I work in, but the majority of people saw what was successful for Houston. Because Houston is a very aggressive fire department. They go in and get it, man. You know, but, and we tried to emulate what they do. And I, and I imagine that, and I can't speak for you guys, but I imagine that Detroit is a big model for a lot of places around there. And once you start diving into what Detroit does, they're very good at what they do. You know, they put six lines of inch and a half inside of a building, you know, and all you see is lines going in this building, and the fires go out. And they have a very large quantity of fire duty out in Detroit. You know what I mean. So I mean, I can't like I said, I can't speak for you guys. And if y'all emulate what they do, but I got some homies that are on the the job in Detroit, and they're very successful at what they do because they've been doing it that way for years. And and you know, but yeah, it was very influential from the Houston side as to what's being done around here. And just like you, the emotional argument of you know you're wanting to change what we put in place. You know, so we're looked down upon extremely for that, you know, that, you know, I've had 100 PSI, 200 gallon a minute fog nozzle on the end of my line for 30 years and all the fires went out and it's like, man, once you start looking at it, it's like, well, how do you measure success? You know, is is success measured for you when the fire goes out, nobody dies at the fire? Is that successful? You know, or is it? You know, when you show up with the first three crews and the fire goes out, you know, or when you show up with the first in crew and the fire goes out because they have the ability to open that nozzle fully and move it down a hallway. You know, I mean, just depends on what you measure success as, you know, and we were very highly influenced by uh, and everybody around us by the high pressure, high volume of of the Houston fire department.
0: Yeah, that's um. you know detroit i talked to dave fornell and you know Mm -hmm. for for those that don't know dave dave fornell wrote essentially the the handbook um, yeah
1: fire streams man
0: yeah on 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 fire streams right so um i looked i looked for dave up and down and I, i kept finding stuff like oh he's in the chicago area oh no he's in the connecticut vermont new england area and and but then I kept getting this like population of Dave Fornell Detroit, Dave Fornell Detroit. I'm like, no, there's no no way the same guy, right? Like he works 45 minutes away. Get the hell out of here. Well, it turns out Dave Fornell is like one of the top dudes down in Detroit, and he has one of right now on Amazon. Dave's book is about two grand to buy. Um, yeah. and when I was talking to him on Detroit. And, and and he says our guys go and and they and they have um they run a pa- an attack package that um Dave, Dave will joke that him and and Dennis Laguerre go back and forth with all the time because they run inch and a half hose with one hundred and twenty five GPM um fog nozzles but those guys in Detroit get after it they get on scene and those guys go to work and they are a one hell of a task saturated staffing limited department right but they get after it but in similar it's tough for me to look at their department and their operation one and 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 tell myself not to not to emulate it because they do so damn well they're great at what they do they have a ton of fire experience but i'm showing up with 10 dudes and my varying degree of, of experience depending on the day my 14 years of fire experience i'm the most senior guy on that battalion there there is nobody that has more time on this department and four to five years of that we're on a paid on call part-time gig that some some don't count and and to some degree I don't count it because I wasn't engaged in the mindset that I, I am now. So we couldn't emulate Detroit because we weren't around for 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 200 years of service to that community. Our department. Yeah, we've had fire protection in my community since 1900. But organized twenty four hour staffing, eh, five, six years, seven years, like you know, we don't have that that culture yet. So it was it was enough of a motivation for me to say, listen, they do what they do and they do it great, but we're going to do what's going to work well for our department and our staffing and, you know, our area that, that we might have, you know, 70 PSI coming out of the hydrant or we're, we're doing a tanker shuttle for four hours sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so um, when you're in your, in your agency when you guys made the switch you know did did people around you come around are you still in that kind of mode of of kind of the 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 for lack of a better term the redhead stepchild of your agency or have people uh kind of you know drank the kool-aid adopted the science and and looked at what you guys are doing and saw some success with it
1: there are some you know it's funny Cause we're still looked down upon by the majority of the people that are around us. And I mean, you're never a legend in your own land, you know, and it's funny cause these dudes, they'll, uh, they'll keep throwing shade at us, but they're slowly, you know, some departments that are close to us are slowly making the switch. You know, we were the first ones to go through ID hose and smooth And, you know, we were looked down upon for a lot of that and the slowly our mutual aid companies are starting to see the effects and the abilities that we have with this attack package. And they're slowly starting to move towards that direction, you know, but they, it, it didn't slow them down to keep throwing shade at us, which I think is pretty funny is that they continue to throw shade, but they uh, are slowly moving the direction that we moved. So yeah, the the closest departments to us are making the switch, but, um, we're still looked upon as the, uh, the redheaded stepchildren for sure. Right on. Um,
0: Kyle it's clear that you have a passion for this for this job. Um, if If you were to compile the 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 ultimate Kyle Romagus essentials for the firefighter, like what what um what li- literature, books, collections, um, um are on are on your radar for, for we kind of talked about Andy Fredericks. So I have to imagine that's pretty, you know um, high. On your list, at least for, for, for myself, too, uh, Tom Brennan's random thoughts um, has been yeah. such a, uh, a, a hard-hitting, short-written, but, but chock-full of detail. What, what, in your mind, if you kind of run through a list of, I don't know, we'll just say a handful of things, what, what would you feel is the most pivotal to give you know someone that uh, wants, that has the passion, that just wants to get the most out of this job?
1: Man, uh, that's a big question, bro. Uh, but I'll, I'll do it justice as best as I can. So starting out with the battle space that we work in, um, I would recommend collapse of burning buildings by Vincent Dunn. Thankfully I'm pretty close to to chief Dunn. I'm able to do webinars with him about once a month or so. And, uh, I was really impressed with his ability to take the information from Brannigan's building construction and actually put it in a building on fire. So Chief Dunn, if, you, if your listeners don't know uh, who Chief Dunn is, it's unfortunate if that's the case, but um, I would really recommend they dive into Chief Dunn's work. So the, to start out in the building and the atmosphere that we find ourselves going to war in, I would recommend the Collapse of Burning Buildings by Vincent Dunn. So it takes, like I said, the Brannigans, and and a lot of people have to read Brannigans for promotional exams, and, and you talk to those dudes after they read it, and they're like, oh, my God, it's so dry. And it is. You know, it's so dry information. But what I really liked about Dunn's book is that he was able to take that dry information and put it into a building that's on fire. And it's to me, it's very important to know how the buildings are built, but to me, it's more important to know how they come apart. And that's what I got from Collapse of Burning Buildings by Chief Dunn. Um, so I would recommend that one to start out with to try to mu- shape the mind frame of the, the environment that we're going to war in. So moving away from that, I would say that there's not a whole lot of great material that you can purchase on hose, but I would recommend reading into Dennis Legeer's research. So once you get dive into Laguerre's research, specifically hose and nozzle dreams, I would really recommend that they get their hands on that. So you can find hose and nozzle dreams on Dennis's website, hydrants, the nozzles. Um, you can find them on ECR in the file section. A lot of the stuff, the article driven stuff is going to be in the file section on ECR. And I've got a, a Google drive that I've got deep information into that. I will share with anybody. Just send me a message through Smoothball cartel. Um, uh, so on the hose and nozzle side, Dennis LaGear's stuff was very influential for me. Um, He breaks it down in a way to where it's digestible material. Um, So on that side, obviously, the Book of Andy is a fantastic resource. Uh, Some of my favorite articles out of the Book of Andy uh, are Return to the Solid Stream. Um, It would be Thornton's Rule would be another great one that I would recommend. And then um, Little Drops of Water 50 Years Later, Parts 1 and 2, those really zoned me into his mind frame there and the entire book of andy is fantastic material it's the engine company bible you know i would recommend that to anybody who's riding an engine um you mentioned tom brennan's random thoughts i really really enjoyed tom brennan's random thoughts and i got so much from his book and his book is a collection of his back page articles that he wrote for fire engineering Uh, so i would add that one to the list um, safety and survival on the fire ground by chief Dunn would definitely be on my list of things to, to, uh, recommend. Um, Dave McGrail's book, firefighting operations and standpipe equipped buildings is a huge one for me. Uh, anybody that has standpipes in their, in their district or has the potential to make a fire in a standpipe equipped building, I would really recommend, um, that book. Um, Chris Brennan, Chris Brennan's got a book called "The Combat Position" that really shapes the mind frame. Um, I would really recommend that book as well. Um, I'm just sitting here looking at my library on the side, trying to pick out. My library's deep, man, but I'm trying to pick no, out some.
0: Brennan is great, man. The, the Fire Service Warrior, man, within that combat position is just such a for sure, such a great book.
1: Yeah, man. Ties Brian Brush and and Gary Lane and all the dudes together, the, and uh, Adam Mayers. You know, they were all in, in together on the Fire Service Warrior side. That was kind of the early, um, the one of the early adopters of the social media era type information uh, that was coming out was Fire Service Warrior and fantastic stuff on there, man. Um, what else do I got here? I really like John Norman's book, uh, Chief Norman from FDNY, Fire Officer Handbook of Tactics. Uh, his He just released his fifth edition, so I would really re- uh, recommend that. The UL studies that are coming out now are fantastic information. It's deep and it's hard to dive into that information, but it's really confirmation is what I'm getting out of the UL studies more than anything. So, um, all are you, the. Are the, you
0: involved or have you gone and in, like, dove into like their online research portal? Like their like, their I, student por- their portal?
1: I have. Um, like you talking about their classes that they've got on their UL site? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've taken a few of them, but I, I really dove into the reports yes. uh, when they came out. Yep. Um, I would really recommend the coordinated fire attack study parts one, two, and three when they talk about full-scale experiments, water mapping, and air entrainment. And it really just kind of confirms everything that I've already read and heard on the low pressure, high volume side um, of things and getting away from that 125 at the small droplet at the high pressure. It's just confirming everything that that I've read on that, and it's fantastic information.
0: It's awesome uh, too, just like looking at that because you see based on their studies. What was crazy to me was the the the, the disturbance and thermal layering, but also like on the maybe the same gallonage, but the the variation of of, of, of straight stream fog versus some um, smooth completely different. And it was it was wild to see the like their analytical data even video to show what the the air movement and the air trapping is doing versus one nozzle to the other it was it was really incredible to see that level of, of science and detail brought into a job that i think we don't give ourselves enough credit for of putting the wet stuff on the red stuff that's a very dumbed down thing to say that i think we in the fire service should really get away from because i don't think we're giving ourselves enough credit in the science and understanding of fire and what this job
1: entails for sure and you know when you dive into those reports and really kind of shape my mind frame on you know distant cooling versus local cooling is to is the the stream itself the pattern that you use it in as in straight stream 30 degree fog wide angle fog, solid bore that has a lot to do with the air movement but it also how you move that nozzle in certain situations in your pattern choice as in the not necessarily the stream pattern but the movement of that nozzle will either help you or hurt you in certain situations with air entrainment you know if I rotate the, the nozzle clockwise in a rapid fashion no matter if it's straight stream or solid bore I'm in training. A massive amount of air and i don't necessarily want to do that if i don't have an opposite vent and i'm not in a position to where i can start winning by putting water on solid fuels so that really opened my eyes and jerry knapp did some some fantastic research prior to the ul studies on on all that he's got some fantastic articles that he put out on air entrainment prior to the ul studies and it just everything that's in the ul study confirmed exactly what he was doing you know, so Jerry Naple's a big, big proponent of Aaron Trainman. He's like the OG of Aaron Trainman, <laughs> in my opinion.
0: Oh yeah. Um, so, Cal, you've given me some some great time. What I want to end on is how do you, in your, you know, in, in your mindset and the in the leadership that you bring, um, how do you measure success? What does that mean to you? What does success mean to you?
1: Man, that's a tough one. Um,
0: because I'll tell you, there, there's, there's some departments, and, and and they exist everywhere, and I'm no exception. That that success is, the fact that that the engine was backed back into the station, and everyone, came came back with the same number of toes and fingers that they that they left with. Um, yeah. they did nothing was broken. Um the truck got returned to service and 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 we, we go on uh go on to fight it fight another day. I don't I don't think that's a a, a quality measurable standard we should strive for ourselves.
1: Um yeah, you can thoughts do nothing on? on the fire ground and have that level of success happen.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I if, if the fire ground happens and you know we get a great visual of the concrete slab or everything went into the basement but so long as that truck came back with uh, three quarters of fuel and a, a, a full bed of clean hose and some, some, some fuel tanks that are topped off. Hey, bang up job. But did we really do anything on there to make ourselves as um, deployable as possible? What are your thoughts on that? Kyle? How do you measure success? Uh,
1: I would say that I would break that into two categories. Um, the category that I would start with would be fireground success. So really the, the real measure of success for our fireground environment that we have is quick water and fast searches. So, I mean, if I can get to a point to where I can get my companies to the point to where we have fast water on the seat of the fire that will support the primary search being initiated and completed as fast as possible, that's successful to me. You know, so that's uh, for the end user, the taxpayer, the citizen in our district, the, the only reason we exist. I think that is a, that should be at the forefront of how you measure success is your company's ability to apply fast water in the correct GPM flow uh, for the situation that's in front of you and being able to initiate the primary search and support that primary search with that, that water flow. I would say on the fire ground, that's how I would measure success is to, how fast we can put water on the fire and get that primary search initiated and completed. But that's why we exist, man. There's a lot of things that we do on the fire in the fire service that could be done by anyone. You know, babies are going to be born without the fire department being there, you know? So motor vehicle accidents can be cleared up by law enforcement without the fire department being there, you know? So there are things that we do that don't necessarily require our attendance for, I guess you could say. And one of those, the only one, that nobody else can do is fire suppression and search, man. You know, in my personal opinion, that's why we exist. You know, a lot of people with the all hazard response models that we have these days, a lot of people forget that the first word on the side of that engine you ride is fire. And that's what the people who pay your salary expect you to be good at, you know? So to me on the fire ground, that's how I would measure success, fast water, uh, initiating the primary and completing the primary as quick as possible on the leadership side. I would measure success by making my probie better than me. So my goal for every probie that I ever get is to make him smarter, more efficient, and more physically able than I ever was. And that's how I measure success. When my probie surpasses me in his abilities and his knowledge base and his drive, that's successful to me.
0: Amen, because there, there are so many that that look at the – I guess we'll start with the first one, that. Um, you know, we we exist to make sure that, that we come home safe. And if this precipitated really Um, when I when I entered the fire service, that really was a a mantra that was that was developed. Um, I, I would say industry, you know, in our area, at least in my small area, I will never say that to any other department outside of those that I have personal experience or, or, or knowledge of. Certainly not Detroit or anyone else that 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 my that my safety in some degree is more paramount than than anybody else. It's the same mindset of you know the this emer- this emergency is not my emergency. And uh, me personally, yeah, I I am not experiencing what this this individual is going through, but I also know I'm the only one and my crew is the only the crew. It's going to make this situation as good as possible, and and to have the, the mindset that that in some degree we are more valuable is is ridiculous, and um, I really had a lot of the same frustrations in, in in response to COVID. They were giving us a lot of a lot of praise for being first responders, and and man, I I, I don't care if. We we would go to work if, if I don't know if AIDS became you know airborne like we would still have to show up we 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 put ourselves in this position to make someone else's emergency better and um in respect to your um your probationary I think that's exactly right there's a ton of people in this job that um look at um the 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 rising success or the knowledge base of those below them as as threats as people yeah. that are existing to take my job because if they take if they know if they learn and if they know what i know that i'm replaceable well bro this job's gonna go on with or without you people are gonna, sure people are going to have fires and they are going to get hurt with or without you and and you're going to get to a point when you are in need of your same department. If you live in the community that you work, um, and why in the hell would you want them to learn or not learn stuff that, you know, especially if it's helpful, man, it's crazy to me that people have that, that, um, that, that fear-based mindset that they ultimately are are going to get replaced by the people that they train. Man, it's crazy to me. Um,
1: that's important, man. That's important to, and one of the benefits that I have, and not to cut you off. No, no, if you, if please. Okay.
0: I want to listen to you. People do not want to <laughs> listen to me, man.
1: Yeah, it's important for people to realize that, or have the mind frame of living where you work. I'm fortunate enough to live in my first do. Same. So my, Same. my station, I live in my first do, And there's an extreme separation, I think, in the operational side, or can be, from people who don't live where they work. You know, so I'm training my proby to be able to respond in my absence. I take a day off, he's responding to my driveway. You know, so I want to be able to prepare these guys to have the best abilities in every situation due to the fact that I live in the area that we serve. And I think that there's a tendency for guys to make that separation. It's like, man, this place is a shithole. You know, it's not mine. I don't live here. There's no connection. Every member of my family, besides my mom, my dad, my brother's, live in my first due, you know, my fire chief lives in his first due. And when, when me and Howard go out training around the country and teaching classes nationally, the dudes that we work with are responding to our residents, you know? So, and I think that's important for a lot of guys to keep in mind if they don't live where they work is, you know, treat it like it was your home, you know, air break hits three o'clock in the morning. That's your shit inside. That's your wife trapped in the back room. That's your kid. You know what I'm saying? And my buddy, Shannon Stone, has a great way of of preparing his guys for that. And he refers to it as preparing to your children's standards. You know, like if in 30 minutes I told you that you were going to run a fire and your wife was going to be trapped in the back room, your your kid was going to be trapped in the back room, what would that change about your preparation level right now? Would you go out and make sure the halyard wasn't tied to the bottom rung? Would you go out and make sure your nozzles are set on what they need to set on? Would you put your suspenders on the outside of your pants and not take a chance of them being inside your boots? You know, would you go out and make sure you had 4,500 in your air pack versus having 4,000? You know, would you top that water tank off on that engine and make sure you got a 1,000 or 750 or 500 or whatever you're you're messing with? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I mean, the, uh, if it would change uh, anything about what you do, you should really look at that.
0: The, the air pack thing is one of the, one, one of the things that drive me up a wall um, because the, the, there is this, and I, and I don't know where it came from, how it was adopted, but I, but I've talked to a ton of guys that have this, that, that culturally have the same acceptance that 4,000 is an acceptable range to be from 4,500. And yeah, you know, I've done it. I've done the brief. I, I, I have ran on the treadmill through the air pack on and then took my breath to, to, to 4,000. And it was like 50, 50 to 60 breaths got me to, 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 to 4,000. Like I would max out every one of my credit cards to make sure I got f- 50 more breaths if I needed it. Right. This, and, and we should have the same, the same mindset. And to say that that four thousand is sufficient um, when it should be forty five and you're starting to shift like you you are that is a that is a a loser's mindset and you're not gonna win anything with with having that because at the end of the day you're exactly right. If if you're going to your own kid, you're gonna want everything buttoned up and dialed in. So when you step off that rig, all you gotta do is is connect your oxygen at the front door or your air tank at the front door and you're going, you're going town, right? Um, sure. Kyle, I love it, man. all all great stuff. Um, where can uh, where can people find you, connect with you, get your apparel, um, try to get into ecr where where can they absorb more of the 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 content?
1: So you can find me. i've been <laughs> I've been unjustly banned from Facebook on my personal profile, so i'm I'm a, a <laughs> member of a lifetime band group. so you can't search Kyle Rams on Facebook and find me because we were unjustly removed because of our Oath Keepers training organization, but they can find me through Smoothbore Cartel on Facebook, Smoothbore Cartel on Instagram. Uh, ECR is a group that you can search for the group, but you can't get into the content until you get in. Um, So go on Facebook, search Engine Company Resurrection, make sure you spell it right, and uh, apply to be in. There's two questions you have to answer to get into the group. That's how I, you know, weed out fake profiles and uh, robots and, you know, companies and stuff like that. It's not fire related. And then uh, just reach out to me, man, through the either the um, Smoothball Cartel Facebook page or the Instagram.
0: Well, I would say about uh two hours ago you should have had my name pop up on the uh the the, the application list for ECR. So Excellent. I'll get in there um, and push through. So uh man, I Kyle, I appreciate it, man. You're you're definitely making this uh this industry better than how you found it. And it it honestly was a true honor That's to cool. talk to you and uh thank you for your time.
1: I appreciate you, brother. I'm happy to be here, man
0: awesome Kyle well have a good one man be safe down there in Texas and I wish you guys all the luck and uh you know God bless to you and your family
1: you too my friend all right
0: we'll see you Kyle bye right, bye man I want to thank Kyle for coming on um he donated his time and he was so gracious with it um I can nerd out about flows and nozzles and friction loss and nozzle reaction all day long so it was so great to to connect with a guy just like that and to see what great things he's doing for not only his department, but people all around this country, man. Um, if you want to get more involved, check out engine company resurrection and, uh, fill out the questions and, and he'll probably approve you. If you definitely, if you're into this job and, um, remember, we got to stop being nasty to each other on a, on social media. We're all in this for one reason and that's to help someone else. And whether that's the citizens that we serve or the the people in our own firehouse, uh, we owe it to all of them to make this job better. So thank you to Kyle, continue his mission, look out for everything great he has. Follow Smoothbore Cartel and until next time, we'll see you. Have a great one.